Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Back to School, a series of podcasts highlighting the different academic programs currently available to people wanting to get into the unmanned technologies field. Today's installment is uh, we'll be speaking with uh, Ben Trapnell from the University of North Dakota JDO School of Aerospace Science. I am your host, Patrick Egan. I want to extend a warm welcome to our guest, uh, Ben Trapnell. Hello, Ben. Hey, how are you doing today, Patrick? Pretty good, pretty good. Another sunny day in California, and I can't complain. <laughs> How can anybody complain? I'm telling you, it's great out here. Um, anyway, so basically what we're doing here is um, I, I want to give uh, people kind of an idea of what's available out there at the different universities for uh, education in the NMEN technologies field, as I had stated. Uh, I get a lot of uh, calls and emails from folks, and then also face-to-face, I interface with a lot of people, and they're always asking, they're saying, you know, I really want to get into this field. Um, I'm interested in learning more. Where do I turn? Um, You know, and for me, it's kind of a difficult question to answer because it depends on what you want to be. You know, some people, well, you know, I think I want to fly global hawks and some people well I want to open a business and and other folks are just like I, I want to get in somehow and uh mainly the the only on ramp to this field <laughs> it was either you know uh Iraq or Afghanistan and not everybody's cut out to spend 12 months in a uh camping in the mountains but uh, anyway so that's that's kind of the impetus for this and uh you know, I guess we'll start out, uh, Ben. Could you give us a little bit of a bio on yourself, how you got here, and well, and not to the show, but how you got here, uh, University of North Dakota? Sure. Uh, I graduated in 1978 from the U.S. Naval Academy and immediately started a career in aviation. Uh, designated a naval aviator, flew E2C Hawkeyes uh, for a few years. Uh, deployed with them, and then uh, went back down to Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, to be a flight instructor. Uh, was a flight instructor for a few years. Uh, left the Navy after my wife's death, and went to work for Burnside Out in Ford Aerospace as a simulator and systems instructor. And then came to the University of North Dakota to teach uh, aerodynamics and aircraft systems. In August of uh, 2005. Uh, we got involved, uh, a colleague of mine and I got involved with the FAA and the Department of Defense uh, to do some research regarding UAS. Uh, first one was a regulatory uh, background check, if you will, uh, of all of the FAA regulations, about 8,500 of them, uh, to see which applied, which didn't, which could or which might, uh, to unmanned aircraft systems. And uh, we... Uh, had an $11 million uh, research project with DOD to take a look at ground-based risk mitigation strategies for sense and avoid and flight of unmanned aircraft systems in the national airspace system. And through that research, we came to the conclusion that uh, 
unmanned aircraft systems is here to stay uh, in what form I don't think anybody quite knows uh, right yet, but we think it's going to be the future of uh, aviation, and we wanted to be well positioned for that. For more than 45 years, the University of North Dakota has been involved in uh, manned aviation education uh, with degree programs in flight education, commercial aviation, air traffic control, aviation management, airport management, and aviation technology management. And uh, we thought that the unmanned aircraft systems degree would be an excellent fit. And so uh, that's basically a little bit about me and uh, the University of North Dakota. Yeah, now, um, when you were talking about the applicable FARs, um, I, you were working with Doug Marshall on that project, correct? Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I, well, I, was, I served on the uh, small UAS arc with Doug. And uh, I remember when Doug was starting that project, and he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go through the." F-. And I'm like, "Good luck, buddy. I hope you're not busy yeah, for the next well, couple of years. <laughs> That's gonna be a big one." <laughs> it was it was an extremely daunting project, uh, and <laughs> the paradigm that Doug uh, came up with uh, in they applied, they didn't apply, they could apply depending upon uh, your interpretation, or they could apply depending upon a little bit of uh, modification to the regulations, basically allowed us to uh, to go through them uh, with a uh, a great deal of uh, of consternation and making sure that we uh, we had thought of just about everything we could have. And like I said, it was about 8,500 different uh, regulations and uh, TCOs and uh, uh, you name it. Um, we looked at everything we could and came up with a response and submitted that to the FAA. And uh, it's amazing how many times that thing comes back up, uh, you know, with the results that we had. Um, sure, there's probably a, a hole or two in it, but uh, it provided a great uh, a place to start. And did uh, was that ever published for public consumption? Uh, I believe it was. Uh, I don't have the uh, actual document in front of me, but I've got a copy of it uh, with an FAA uh, document number on it. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd be interested in getting a copy of that. I've been having a hard time getting to sleep lately, and uh, the FAR <laughs> book is just not doing it for me anymore. Uh, no, yeah, I well, would actually... that one certainly will. <laughs> I. I used to say that about the, the FAR book to the uh, FAA. They're like, well, you can, you know, it's all in there. Just read that sucker. Anyway, I, yeah. and I will take that offline, but I would definitely uh, be interested in getting a copy of that. And my hat's off to you guys for that one. That, 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 I mean, when uh, Doug was describing that, I was like, oh, man, I'm making my head hurt just thinking about that. A lot of those, um, the regulations and whatever, I would, we could loosely call them subjective. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the the FAA likes to leave things uh, sufficiently ambiguous, I guess, so that they can uh, make sure it works uh, in the way they would like. Uh, and but, it, you know, that's something that everybody that's see, that's one of the issues that, again, being what it is, uh, needs to be brought out in a, a strong academic uh uh, academically oriented uh, program, and that's one of the things that we do uh, here at the University of North Dakota. Well, and and I agree with that. I, I definitely think um, you know there's there's a huge void of let's say information in this field 
you know, I want to write a book in my spare time. Uh, there's other people that should probably write some books too, to put, put some perspective on this whole process. But that's going to be a show for another time because <laughs> you know what? We could, we could do the whole half hour on that, no problem. Um, and I wanted to, I definitely want to, uh, Get into uh, UND and, and talk about what you guys are offering uh, again for the benefit of uh, prospective students. So, saying that, let's let's dive in. Not that the other conversation wasn't good. I like that one, but uh, okay. So um, you know, and and you kind of already talked about this a little bit, but uh, I'd like you to expand on the notion of of your education philosophy. And I know we've talked about it prior on the phone tried to get a little feeling of what's going on out there. But, but you know, why don't you tell us what the what the philosophy is? You know, not too long ago, it used to be that uh, students were looking for some sage on the stage to provide them with all the information they would need to be qualified to go out in the uh, real world and have a job. And as you know, uh, the world is getting flatter and flatter, and the people that you're communicating, competing against are not just the folks in your neighborhood or in your state or even in uh, your own country, but there's uh, folks from all around the world that you're going to have to compete against. You're going to have to compete against a global market. At the same time, the information that is out there, as you well know, changes so fast and in the unmanned aircraft systems world is so complex that it's not enough just to know everything. You can't know everything. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is develop and nurture lifelong learners that have uh, sort of an ambition to want to continue learning on their own. And our class, our classes are set up to, uh, to help facilitate that and to maximize uh, their uh, responsibility as being learners uh, to the maximum extent possible. Uh, our degree program is designed to bridge the gap that exists between the, the traditional engineer and the traditional operator. Pilots didn't tend to make good engineers, and engineers didn't necessarily become good pilots, though that there, there were good on both sides. What we're trying to do is bridge that gap so that the uh, pilot has more of an engineering background and the engineer has more of an operational uh, background so that they can... Uh, meld those two expertise uh, together to create the greatest uh, uh, or to have the the greatest possibility of success in an environment that, you know, is more nebulous than uh, coalesced. Yeah, I, I, that's that's not a bad philosophy, and I'd agree with that. Uh, you know, the you know a few other things that you said in the beginning about the uh, – the unmanned aircraft thing. It was kind of funny years ago. People are like, ah, this thing is, you know, might just wither and die on the vine. And the forward thinkers were like, you know, you're, you're crazy. This, this technology is here to stay. And I, and I do think that people have realized now, uh, you know, unmanned aircraft are here to stay. And not only are they here to stay, they are the future. And, uh, what, what the point you just hit on, I think is important instead of really just being a pilot, you know, there's the whole system to think about. And you don't just hand off from one guy to another. You may have issues that you need to deal with that uh, you're going to have to think about prior to operating these systems. And I I think you kind of covered that. It is definitely a dynamic field. Things change. Uh, I mean, that that's almost mind-numbing how, how dynamic this field is, the technology, the regulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is one of the... Uh, it, 
issues that I have with the regulators. Things are changing so fast, and if you don't have the people that understand the technology, um, how do you plan on regulating that? But I don't want to get into that. But uh, I I did want to uh, circle back. Go ahead. Understand, uh, understanding the technology today, you know, as, as much as we think and we know that these uh, uh, unmanned aircraft are capable of, um, the, ma- the maturity of the technology is still uh, it's still quite new, uh, and things are changing so fast. They're they're so based on the computer technology that is changing so fast that capabilities are changing before they can actually be in, implemented in a way that the uh the regulators have been comfortable with in the past. I mean look at look at how long uh we dealt with uh, wooden fabric airplanes and then we got into aluminum aircraft uh you know the the typical structures turning into stressed uh skin structures and nobody really knowing how to uh certify them. The the Starship was a great example of a new technology in uh you know fiberglass or uh uh, composite technology, the aircraft weighed three times more than it had to because uh, the FAA, FAA didn't have experience uh, certifying aircraft with that kind of technology. Well, today, composites are everywhere, uh, but there had to be somebody first, and it sort of spelled the demise of that aircraft initially because it couldn't meet the uh, the performance standards it, uh, it proposed or, or was supposed to provide. Uh, it's it's a new technology and everybody is learning and it's tough with a degree program to make sure that the students are as well prepared as they need to be. So the idea of just teaching rote information has got to go out the window and you've got to create and help nurture a student that when he graduates realize uh, realizes that you know this is just the beginning that he'd better be uh, have his head in the books or on the internet as much as possible to stay up with what's going on. I agree with that. Um, if you know, and and good thing is, is a lot of people that get into this field are very passionate about this, and you're going to have to be passionate about it. I mean, so much has changed since I've been involved, and I call myself a newcomer. You know, I've only been really at this for about eight years, and uh, <clears throat> you know, the change in in uh, technology as far as sensors are concerned, and miniaturization, miniaturization. Um, and what's available has definitely changed. And I do agree the the old model of the regulator saying, "Hey, you got to jump in line behind us here, and we're going to regulate this thing." You're, you're you're regulating, you know, six generations ago, man. And our competitive edge uh, globally is just it, it's eroding before our eyes. But that's that's another story. You're going to have to again. These kids, I think most of them are going to have to come out of um, these programs, like you said, with a mix of engineering and operation, and a lot of them are going to have to go out there and and make their own way in the wilderness. That's kind of what I feel. Right. Well, and, we've got – this is – University of North Dakota is a medium-sized liberal arts university. So whether you go engineering or whether you go in an aviation program such as ours, you're still going to get a strong background in the arts and sciences that help round out a good uh, – uh, good education, and included in all that, uh, we're stressing the creativity and innovation, critical thinking and problem solving, communication, collaboration, information literacy, media literacy, information uh, and communications technology literacy, flexibility uh, and adaptability, initiative and self-direction, uh, social and cross-cultural skills, 
leadership and responsibility and productivity and accountability. And if you hear in all that not a thing about unmanned aircraft systems, then you understand that unmanned aircraft systems is not the end all. We have to have students that are capable of learning and living in a world that is changing so fast that they can keep up with it. Well, and I, I'm I'm right on um, right on with that one. I mean, a couple what was it last week? We did a podcast with the uh, Boca Bearings people, and they're running an innovations contest. And man, uh, everything the dude was saying was it kind of uh, what you're saying, and also what I'm saying. And I I believe that. Uh, all that, what you're just saying, is going to be something that you're going to need as part of the recipe for the future if you're going to stay in business. You're not going to work for Zenith for 40 years. Not happening. Mm-hmm. So you're, going to, you're going to have to get out there and you're going to have to keep evolving. Your business is going to have to keep evolving. Your business model is going to have to keep evolving, the technology. So I, I totally agree with you there, and that uh, – Makes me feel good to hear that you're saying this too, because I think we're out here on the on the uh, the bleeding edge of education. And I, the STEM thing is great. I keep hearing STEM, 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 and uh, you know, from Boca Bearings, I stole this one too. He's calling it STEAM, and he's adding arts in there. And I agree uh-huh. that uh, the the creativity from the artist should be injected back in that, because there's a lot of people out there. They, they've you know they're thinking, and I hate to say outside of the box because it's even beyond that, but. Uh, I think that those people are important, and even that those, those that liberal type of uh, thinking or liberal arts, whatever, has a has a has a place in this field. And well, if you if you have somebody that has a design, mm-hmm. and let's say they want to build a space shuttle, they're going to plug a bunch of numbers into some computer program, and they're going to get something that looks like an ice cream truck, and that's exactly <laughs> what we got. But if you look at if you look at the same time, the Russians want to do the same thing. Their ice cream truck looks extremely similar to ours, and it's not necessarily that they copied it. It's just that's the way the numbers popped out. There is more art involved in what we're doing today than just the what the engineering uh, numbers would state. And our students have got to be, or our graduates, have got to have that ability to think outside the box and outside that rigid engineering process to bring new ideas uh, into a world that, like I said, is still pretty nebulous right now. Uh, and so the idea that our our students were, or our graduates, we hope, aren't just the engineers or just the operators, but are the leaders of this emerging uh, civil UAS uh, environment. Well, I think sometimes it needs uh, free thinkers. I mean, I'm going to point to the Horton brothers, uh, you know, the the uh, HO229 developers. Those guys were self-taught. And yep. the designs that they came up with uh, <laughs> are still today uh, groundbreaking, stealthy. And it was people, I think, that uh, that maybe they weren't trained and they were thinking outside of the box were able to make that leap and i think that this 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 technology here affords that and i'm i'm glad to see uh, other people besides just pilots and engineers get in here and say different walks of life now, well the hortons I, weren't constrained by convention they were not and and look what we got you know or well, look what they produce exactly uh, outstanding stuff. Um, all right. Well, and we kind of, we kind of wandered off of the 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 list of questions I had for you, so we'll we'll kind of come back to that. But uh, uh, what, what does your school consider for admissions for for this program? 
Well, uh, first of all, at least for this program, for the uh, Bachelor of Science in Unmanned Aircraft Systems, uh, UAS Operations, um, we require that all our students be American citizens and that mm -hmm. they do not hold a dual citizenship. And we got to that point because we were investigated a lot when we were starting to propose this uh, thing by various entities uh, that were concerned about ITAR and EAR uh, restrictions. Mm -hmm. And so uh, right now we're living under that umbrella um, but we do have uh, opportunities for other types of uh, educational uh, uh, opportunities. But basically, uh, our students are U.S. citizens, and they must have an ACT of at least 21 or a uh, an SAT combined SAT of 990 or better. Uh, basically, if you want to, uh, if you've done halfway decent in high school. Uh, and you want to be a part of the UAS program, uh, you can do that. But there's a pretty good uh, – um, we state up front that there's a lot more technology in this than you would get from a traditional aviation education. Uh, we do both manned and unmanned aviation in our program. Uh, so there is uh, there are physical requirements that a student must uh, – they must be able to get a, a first-class physical. And uh, – our uh, students uh, must be able to uh, to complete their commercial multi-engine and instrument ratings. Hmm. Well, and that may play into the um, some of the standards in the future. That is one thing that's difficult with this uh, with with educating people in this field. And I've talked to other uh, universities who want to offer um, programs but don't, and saying, you know, it's just. It's a little too obscure right now uh, because there are no standards. So it sounds like you guys are really covering the bases, and it, it, we we just really don't know what's going to be out there in the future. So. No, and that's and that's where uh, a good program, and we think we we have one, has got to be tied to industry as much as possible to the point where we're there as they're thinking about cutting edge stuff, so that. One, we can our students can be educated properly, but two, uh, our students have to be ready to, uh, um, we think, to understand the regulatory and the operational environment that is the national airspace system. And so we think that having uh, actual experience in that system is the best way to get it. Two, that also makes them more hireable if they decide that unmanned aircraft systems isn't for them when they graduate, but it might be in the future. Um, they are uh, they're getting jobs in the manned aviation world, and we've also noticed, uh, which has been a, a pleasant surprise for us, that the major uh, players out there, uh, and I'll just mention Northrop Grumman uh, as one of them, uh, they're very interested in our students that are actually uh, getting their commercial and their certified flight instructor. Uh, certificates, because they want these students to come back to them with unmanned aviation experience and the ability to teach. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, having that uh, background, uh, they look at as being a real plus. Now, we don't, we don't uh, make our students get their, uh, their CFIs, uh, their Certified Flight Instructor Certificates, but we highly recommend it uh, to them. And Not the uh, multi-engine allows them to get their ratings in 190 hours instead of 250. And probably not a bad idea because uh, one of the things that I had brought up during the uh, my service on the small UAS arc is 
who is going to be teaching us to fly uh, these unmanned aircraft. And there's so many yes. uh, different, pardon me for a second, <clears throat> there are so many different, uh, let's say, kinds, sizes. Uh, this isn't like teaching uh, people to fly like a single-engine aircraft, um, mm-hmm. you know, with all the different weight classes and everything. So, you know, it's like to the FAA, who's going to be teaching us to fly our own aircraft? Who's going to be coming up with the tests? It was going to be certifying this aircraft, you know, and those are mm, those are all pretty good questions, you know. As uh, you get somebody who doesn't understand the technology and the applications, which is huge stumbling block uh, on the regulatory side of things, and I don't even want to get started on that one. But uh, so it's good that these people um, have an understanding of the unmanned technology. So you are um, turning out people that will hopefully be able to teach people to fly these in the future instead of uh, getting somebody who's strictly a manned aircraft guy. And it's kind of funny when you when you talk to people who are, you know, I don't, I don't want to put anyone out on Front Street, but you talk to people who were pilots of manned aircraft that came over to be unmanned aircraft, and they talk about the differences. Well, I don't get that response when the, the nose wheel hits the paint. I don't get the response through the controls and yada, and I'm like, you know, I'm not a I'm not a manned pilot. I'm an unmanned pilot, and that's just not even a factor to me. You know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. so many things in the human factors between the man and the unmanned. Uh, you you really have to have experience in both worlds, or at least in the unmanned world, to know what you're what you're talking about, and what you're doing. So I think that's good. Sure. Um, yeah. We uh, it's interesting. We had a uh, we've got Raven uh, Dragonflyer. Uh, Scan Eagle, uh, Super Hauler. We've modified a couple uh, model airplane telemasters. So we've got CropCam that we're flying. Um, we had an instructor come from Air Environment to teach uh, a couple of the guys to fly Raven. And within about a oh, half hour, 45 minutes of actually uh, working with the kids, the kids are teaching the instructor how to fly Raven uh, well. from a standpoint that the camera on the Raven, one of the cameras sticks out the side, and if you're going to try to keep, if you're going to try to uh, look at something on the ground and there's winds, then you have to adjust the way the aircraft flies. And what's intuitive to our kids that are getting that uh, commercial experience took, he said, took ten hours to try to teach the Army. Yeah, there not are a lot saying of... that there's anything wrong. It's just there's a different mindset. There is a different mindset, and you're hitting on. I mean, again, we could we could talk another hour about this, but that's uh, that's that that plays right into. I don't know if you caught the article I wrote for Unmanned Systems Magazine, where I was talking about how the uh, first responders should really get educated on the the technologies and the applications, because you just hit on something there, where that mindset where where you're where you're you're doing something, let's say it's coin, you know, the counterinsurgency mm-hmm. efforts or whatever. That's one thing. Working in an urban environment is going to be something totally different, and your students are already picking up on that. So, yeah, overlaying that asymmetrical thing onto the onto CONUS operations or operations domestically may be a little bit of a um, a poor fit. And 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 that's interesting that you brought that up because uh, that's reinforcing what I've been saying for a while. Now we're we're almost up to the two minute warning. It happens fast. Um, I wanted to ask you what type of students your your program's attracting. We're getting all kinds. We're getting people who want to be uh, who 
initially wanted to be uh, man-rated pilots who are starting to see that there's something pretty interesting about unmanned aircraft. We're getting people that have always been involved with computers and robotic technology who want to get involved with unmanned aircraft. Uh, we're getting a lot of uh, retired military who leave the military with a lot of uh, GI Bill capability that want to be uh, fly unmanned aircraft. I just graduated a former 20-year uh, Navy SEAL uh, who is uh, now working for uh, General Atom or for uh, Customs Border Protection? Uh, I've it, we're getting all kinds, and they're they're extremely enthusiastic. They're uh, they're out of the box thinkers, which is great. Those that aren't, or those that uh, expect to be spoon fed, sort of fall by the wayside. But for the most part, we're getting some really, really, really talented people, and uh, everybody who's been hired. Uh, Folks that have hired them have uh, have raved about their uh, capabilities. So we're extremely pleased with the uh, students that we've got. We've graduated uh, about 30 students, uh, a few more than that, and we've got about 85 to 90 people at any given time within our program. Excellent. Could you give us the web address? Yes, I can. I just have to sort of go down to it. Um, yeah, it's well. The best thing to do uh, is to go to www.aviation.und.edu uh, and then uh, follow the links to the uh, undergraduate degrees and the aviation degrees, and it'll take you right there. All right. Well, that's good because I'm, I'm sure uh, that, like I said, the idea with this is prospective students could listen to these podcasts and decide which program is best for them. And I think that uh, today's conversation was excellent. Um, I we're, we're right on the same page. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, Ben. <laughs> you have to decide that at a later date. Hey, we'll, history will tell us, right? It will, but uh, I definitely think uh, it was great that you could come on today and um, put this information out there. Thanks again. Good luck, and we'll talk to you soon in the future. Well, thank you, Patrick, for the opportunity. Uh, we really enjoy what we're doing, and we're hoping that our uh, our students are going to be very, very successful in the future. All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.